Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Mark chapter 11, just a couple of verses here. Verses 12, 13, and 14. Last week we talked about the triumphal entry that begins that Passion Week. And this event tonight, the cursing of the fig tree, I believe follows suit with that. We don't know exactly how to fit the earlier things and then what happened on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We know the triumphal entry took place the week before the crucifixion. The fig tree cursing could have been a Monday morning or maybe a Tuesday morning. It was certainly a morning. It says, on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. Now, Mark doesn't really say it was early in the morning, but the other gospel, which would be Matthew chapter 21, verses 17 through 20, I think mentions that. And he's staying in Bethany. Remember from our geography lesson that Bethany is just a short distance from Jerusalem. And so Jesus had set his face to as a flint to go to Jerusalem to endure the cross, of course. And he is in the area for, of course, the Passover, uh, one of those pilgrimage uh, feasts. And he's staying, evidently, at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus there in Bethany. And he evidently left the home in the morning, perhaps doing what he did often. Maybe he went out into a mountain to pray. I think Luke chapter 6 tells us that he did that earlier in another incident. And so he maybe was doing that, but perhaps, and probably missed breakfast, so he was hungry. The disciples probably, possibly with him, it doesn't say so in the text here, except in verse 14, his disciples heard it. And so, you know, whether they went with him to pray or not, if he did indeed pray, missed breakfast, and whether they missed breakfast or not, but he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon, And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, no fruit, in other words, for the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. This is the short version of the story. Matthew includes a bit more details, but he curses the fig tree. Well, let me just start out saying that I think that this is a peculiar thing. It's not the norm for Jesus to do something like this. And I think obviously he is teaching some kind of a lesson in doing this out of the norm thing. My thought is the fig tree would bring forth the fruit eventually, but it wasn't the time. And so, you know, different interpretations of what is going on here and why Jesus cursed the fig tree 
we certainly know this, since he's the Son of God and he had no sin, that he didn't get angry and upset. Oh, you stupid fig tree, you're going to be cursed now. We know he didn't do that. You and I might have done that. <laughs> Forgot your breakfast and got mad at yourself for doing that. You cursed the car, you cursed the lunch bucket or whatever. That's what we do, but Jesus is not doing that. He has a unique and a spiritual method of doing this or means of doing it and a reason for doing it. Now, my personal opinion is that the fig tree is a picture of the nation of Israel. And that by this time, we're at the end of the life of Christ. Okay, His, his ministry is about to come to an end. So he has invested his three and a half, four years into the nation. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft what I have gathered thee. And they had ample opportunity to receive the gospel. Now, the gospel of Mark doesn't deal with this as much as, say, John or, or, or maybe Matthew about the opposition that has been raised. Mark does say something about it. But they have had ample opportunity, the nation, to receive Christ. We suggested last week that although we don't hear a whole lot from Matthew, Mark, and Luke about Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem, we do know that he came at least during the times of the feast. And we're suggesting that because he knew Joseph of Arimathea and Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that he was acquainted with the people in Jerusalem and had been there many times before, perhaps more than just at the feast, and had ministered there. Much of his ministry, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, takes him into Galilee. We do see him, of course, every, day, every once in a while in Judea, in Jerusalem, in that area. And so what I'm saying is, Israel had every opportunity to hear the gospel preached by the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, it was expected that they would believe that gospel. But all in all, in a, in a large degree, there were many people, uh, many Jewish people who did not follow the Lord. And even amongst those who did, there were many followers of Jesus. He would preach, for instance, if a man isn't willing to leave father and mother, he's not worthy of me. So I think that there were a lot of Jewish people that followed the Lord. Of the disciples, we of course had Judas, who was not, I think, a true disciple, but a deceiver. And there were folks that followed the Lord. In Acts, we read about 120 people that are gathered together. I believe it was in the upper room. And there were folks at the crucifixion, the women and such. So there were followers of the Lord. Some of them true followers. Some of them not true followers, but followers nonetheless. I think that is to whom Jesus is speaking here. And that this illustration of the cursing of the fig tree is for them. They should have been true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and brought forth fruit, like John said, meat for repentance. But there was no fruit. And so I think the lesson is particularly for the nation of Israel. Now we want to apply that, of course, to us. And so let's give you an outline. We're going to see the Lord looking for fruit. We will see the potential for fruit. 
the examination of fruit and the judgment of the fruitlessness. So first of all, the looking for the fruit. He's hungry. What's the reason for that? Did he miss breakfast? I'm not sure what all of that... How we make a spiritual application of that? Uh, is the Lord hungry for our spiritual fruits? And I might add as well, we'll look at a couple of passages of Scripture dealing with fruit. If you're like me, you have the tendency to think of fruit in the matter of numbers. I forget which parable it was. Jesus said that some brought forth a hundredfold, some brought forth less than that. Every fruit tree or every plant that you put in seed that you put into the ground is not going to be as fruitful as some other trees or some other plants. There are conditions, of course, in the farming world, the watering, the planting, of course, the watering, the cultivating, and all of that. The weather has a lot to do with whether or not the plant or tree or whatever it is is fruitful. So there are a lot of circumstances that uh, if we make a spiritual application that make some people more fruitful than others. I believe that God does give the gift of evangelism to certain individuals. The evangelist is a gospelizer. Anybody in the church could be an evangelist. I don't believe I have that gift. You may not have that gift either, but we're supposed to do the work of an evangelist, and that's giving out the gospel. And so the great commission to be fulfilled. Now, how fruitful are we? We have the tendency, if you're like me, to say and to think that fruitfulness is measured in numbers. We look at a tree, cherry tree, for instance, and we'll count how many cherries are on the tree. How does God measure all of that fruitfulness? So we have the tendency to look at a this event and, and get the impression that this tree had no fruit at all, no figs that we could count. You know, we have the tendency to say, well, you know, we can't count how many fruits that we have. It's, me- it's difficult to measure spiritual fruits. But I've just not been one to keep records of that because I know the Lord's keeping record of that. And I have enough to do. And so I'll let the Lord take care of all those records. Is the Lord hungry for our fruits? How, how does that spiritual application come about? What is it that makes Him hungry for our fruits? I think He's looking for fruit. You know John 10.10. 10. Jesus is talking in John chapter 10 about the shepherd and the sheep. And he talks about the hireling. He talks about the thief. In John 10.10, 10, he says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But then the last, verse says, the last part of the verse says, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. So we know that the Lord wants us to have an abundant spiritual life. Well, how do you measure abundancy? We would probably say, well, you know, if I asked you, are, is your life abounding? We would have the tendency, well, not really. Well, is it? If you do like we do in this, the hymn, count your many blessings, name them one by one, are you abounding in blessings? You ought to be able to say yes. We have countless blessings that the Lord has bestowed upon us because the Lord has given, come to give us life and give us abundant life. We have abundant life. And he's looking for fruit. Now let's do go to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus did teach his disciples about the vine and the fruit. 
I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away. So we're clearly talking about bearing fruit versus not bearing fruit. So there is a practical application of this fig tree that's fruitless to us, even though I think in the context it's probably in a reference to the nation of Israel that was fruitless, that did not accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah and therefore was unfruitful. It had all of the acts of religion. We were talking about Saul, who was zealous for the things of the Lord. He thought he was doing God a favor by getting rid of Christians. He probably thought he was fruitful. He says here, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purchaseth it, that it might bring forth more fruit. So he's not interested in just bearing fruit, but bearing more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him the same, bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. There's fruit, there's much fruit, and more fruit. If any man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now there's something about, this is talking about a, a vine, probably a grapevine, that is to be pruned. And the idea is you prune the vine, or a tree, or whatever plant that you're wanting to produce, so that it can produce more fruit. So looking for fruit. And the Lord wants for us to be fruitful. Let's also go to Romans chapter 6. Let's look at verses 21 and 22. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? Talking about the way you were before you got saved. For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin, become the servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. And look while we're there in Romans chapter 7, and go to verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even so him that is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So God's plan is for us to be fruitful. So he is looking for fruit. Now, verse 13 of our text, Mark 11, says, And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves. So, we're, we're suggesting this is a public fig tree on the road, whatever, so it's free for anyone who passes by to pick the fruit and having these leaves. Now, I'm told that it buds and brings forth the fruit before the leaves, so that by the time the leaves are there, that it's supposed to be fruitful. So, he sees the leaves and expects that the fruit would be there. So there is potential for fruit. The leaves are there, having leaves. And if we're talking about the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel had the potential for fruit. When we talk about you and I, we are plugged in to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the branch who is attached to the vine, and every branch that's attached to the vine is going to bring forth fruit. It's just the way it works. Unless there's something wrong with that connection or the branch itself is dead, decaying, or something diseased or something or another. So there is potential for fruit. God has potential for us as Christians. 
And he expects to see the fruit. There's this leafy appearance. Okay, Now, in Christianity and in Israel, there was an appearance of faithfulness. Many of these Jewish people to whom Jesus ministered appeared like they should have fruit. They had leafy consistency, so to speak. There are many people today who appear that they should be fruitful. So the leafy appearance indicates, in the the, uh, condition of the fig tree, indicates some fruit. Today we have professors, professing believers. I'm a Christian. Well, if you're a Christian, show me your fruit. Where's the fruit? The fruit should be, what the Bible says, fruits of righteousness. It could be also soul winning, bringing forth fruit that way. But the leafy appearance also indicates healthiness, the lack of disease. You would look at Judas, for instance, and you would say, he's one of the followers of Christ. None of the disciples suspected him of being a deceiver. There are many people today like that in Christianity. Here were these Jewish people in Jesus' day. They looked like they were spiritually healthy. Take Saul. He's zealous for the things of God. It looks like he's really healthy spiritually. Busy with things. It looks like, hey, there's no disease. Now think about how physically. We can look at people today who have diseases. We don't know they have diseases. We can't suspect them. They're not in a wheelchair. They're not deformed in some way. They appear to be healthy, but they're carrying in their body some disease or diseases. That's the way it is with, spiritually speaking. People can appear healthy and be full of disease. The leafy appearance, also third expectation. Notice the text says that he saw this fig tree afar off. He's hungry. He sees it down the, the, yes, like driving down the highway. You're hungry, breakfast time, whatever time of uh, day you're trying to eat, and you see a sign for your favorite restaurant, and it's 12 miles down the road. And you're driving those 12 miles and you are expecting to get there and you get off the exit and you drive up to the restaurant and it's closed. It's abandoned. It's not fruitful. You're disappointed. The sign looked like there was an appearance of fruit, but it wasn't. It stirred your expectation. And now you have to get uh, reoriented to either find a different place or something like it. So, the leafy appearance stirred his expectation and it necessitated the fruit. We know that the Lord is not doing anything sinful by cursing the fig tree. Are you still in John? John fifteen six. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. They're making a profession of faith, but there is no fruit. An outward appearance, but not fruitful. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 28, Jesus said, Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he's talking about the false teachers, and he said these false teachers had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. In Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Paul talks to Titus about those that profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. 
being abominable and disobedient and under every good work reprobate. So there is the potential for fruit. It is there. And as a Christian, we have the potential for being fruitful. I believe the Lord is expecting fruit. He's looking for fruit. Now, we don't have fruit here in Mark chapter 11, but let's go back to our text, Mark 11, verse number 13 again. And seeing a fig tree afar off and having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. There is no fruit on this tree. But I'm thinking to myself, okay, let's suppose we did have some fruit on the tree. Just because we have fruit, what kind of fruit is it? You know, the Bible says that we know that somebody else is a Christian by their fruit. What kind of fruit? What kind of fruit are we producing for the Lord? It's easy to go into your garden and look at your fruit and to examine it. You pick it and then you examine it and look, at, you know, and then maybe sort it out. Here's the good ones, here's the bad ones and whatnot. It's easy to do that. How do you do that with spiritual things? How do you measure that fruitfulness? How do you measure if it's really good fruit or bad fruit? Or maybe I should say good fruit or not so good fruit. So, we're putting in this point, there's an examination of the fruit. The Lord is looking at this tree, at least. Even though there's no fruit at it, he's seeing the foliage and he is expecting to have fruit. But I can think, if we're going to make an application of this and the Lord is looking for fruit, okay, we're producing fruit, but what kind of fruit is it? Have we been watering and cultivating in our lives in order to produce good fruit. Now remember, what's the Lord's purpose? I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In John 15, he said, I want you to produce fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. That's God's goal. But the kind of fruit we produce depends on us. And of course, the Holy Spirit, as he works through us, I understand that too. So he's examining the fruit. He is the real fruit inspector. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. We talked about the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now in this passage, verse 12, Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Okay, we know the difference between wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be burned up. The gold, silver, precious stone was, is not going to be burned up. But I don't know how you do it with silver or precious stones, but the gold, I know they have, they put carrots to the gold. I think the Lord is measuring that. Okay, you have the gold, you have the silver, you have the precious stones. What is the value of those? We do that. I'm sure the Lord is doing that. So he's examining our fruit. And so part of, that's all going to be part of the judgment seat of Christ, I'm sure, to examine our fruit. But we should be fruitful. Let me get to this last thing that we find in our text. There is looking for the fruit, the potential for the fruit, the examination of the fruit, and finally a judgment of fruitlessness. When Jesus found that this tree was without fruit, he cursed the fig tree. Mark chapter 11, verse number 14, And Jesus answered and said unto it, he's speaking through the tree, 
No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever, and his disciples heard it. Again, I think what the Lord is doing by way of application, immediate application, is talking about the nation of Israel and saying that I'm going to curse this nation of Israel. They are not going to be fruitful. I'm going to turn to the New Testament church. And then we have the rest of the New Testament dealing with the New Testament church. Now God's going to come back to Israel because there'll be a restoration. There'll be a revival of Israel. So this barren fig tree will produce, so to speak, as we make a mention of uh, the nation of Israel. But there's this judgment of fruitlessness. In John 15, when the Lord talked about the vine and the branches and producing the fruit, what happens to the branch that didn't produce any fruit? It is cast forth. Okay, cut off, thrown into the, the fire pit, okay, and burned. So it's, it's worthless, right? We are designed by God to be fruitful. And when we're not fruitful, here's the judgment for fruitlessness. We don't lose our salvation as a Christian, but our lives are valueless as far as the fruit bearing is concerned. Here's this tree. If we're going to make the analogy to a Christian, it's got these great big broad leaves. It's professing to the world, I am fruitful. Okay, The Lord's looking at the tree from a distance. He sees the leaves. He said, ah, oh, there's a fig tree that has some fruit on it. Let's go get it. An empty profession. People cry out. They say, hey, I'm a beautiful Christian. Here's the appearance that I'm giving to you. But it's a false, empty profession. It's an unfulfilled purpose. What's the purpose of this tree? To produce fruit, right? And it's unfulfilled. What is your purpose? Your purpose, my purpose, is to be fruitful. How we measure fruit, that's the Lord's business, but be fruitful. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Everybody's at a different level, some 100-fold, some 30-fold, some whatever. But do what you can. Be, not for the army, okay? But be all you can be for the Lord. Fulfill your purpose. And then what we also see, this tree's proclaiming that it's fruitful and it's deceiving. It's being deceptive here. Instead of serving the people and producing fruit and having a fig tree for the passerby to collect, it's not serving, it's deceiving. And uh, that's what happens when you and I are unfruitful. We have this appearance that we're helpful and we're not serving. What are you doing for the Lord? What is your service? Again, how do you measure that? It's good to have reunions and things like that to reflect back on, to hear from people that you've ministered to and with in the past to see where that fruit is. You and I have a little bit of fruit in the lives of Matt and Sarah who were here a week ago. When you gave of your hearts to them back several years ago, and now they are in a good church and serving the Lord and doing what they ought to do. You have part of that because we helped them back then. So anyway, we need to quit there. But the judgment for fruitlessness, we need to be fruitful. Let's close. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at this passage in Mark about the cursing of the fig tree. We profess that we don't know all the meaning of this passage but there are some things that we certainly can apply. And we want to be fruitful Christians. Give us wisdom to know how to measure our fruitfulness and help us to be aware in our lives when we have an appearance of fruitfulness 
and we are not really fruitful. We expect you to help us. We can't produce fruit on our own. It's, it's really up to you. Because we plant, we water, but it's God that gives the increase. You are the one that makes us fruitful. And it's up to you if we're going to be 20-fold, 30-fold, 50-fold, 70-fold, 100-fold, or even more. It's up to you how fruitful we are. But if we are attached to the branch, abiding in Christ, we will be fruitful. That's our responsibility, to stay with Christ, to be close to Him, as the verses, the songs we've sung earlier tonight, constantly abiding and remaining in Him, drawing near to the Lord, near to the heart of God. That's our responsibility. Uh, we want to be like that disciple that laid his head on the bosom of Christ and wanted to be next to Jesus. Help us to be as close as we can to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. Mm-hmm.